You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Isn't that weird that there's no 13th hotel floor? It is weird. And so I wonder, I know that we had talked about this, like, should we skip this episode and go right to 14? (laughs) I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad we're taking the time to acknowledge it. Yeah, I'm actually quite happy about that. How do you think this has been going so far? You know, this is a good time, I think. 12 episodes in, this is number 13, to kind of reflect on what we've been doing. Um, You know, our, our idea in starting this podcast, I think, was... We just talked about how there's a lot of ideas that are really good ideas people are sharing and writing about and thinking about that aren't getting to a lot of other people that I think they could be, you know, could really benefit from them and get a conversation going. And so I think one of the ideas we had in this podcast is trying to share people's ideas that we'd come into contact with. And I know particularly for me, um, being on Twitter so much, I'm I'm constantly in conversations with K-12 teachers. But then I'm also constantly in conversations with people in higher ed doing research on specific topics and stuff. And I just don't think those two were talking to each other enough besides in like their classrooms. So I think I think the podcasts are serving that purpose of, of taking ideas that sometimes are just in print or in limited yeah. spaces and getting them to other spaces. And if you're like me, you know, you're not going to do much else like while you're folding laundry. So I listen to podcasts. <laughs> I know for me, um, it's been a really good learning experience mm-hmm. because I feel like with every discussion that we've had in researching the people, like I've learned so much about different aspects of education or different strategies that people are using. I feel like every episode I left with something I could actually do, you know, with my students or in my class. So that was actually a pretty neat takeaway. And I, I just think of like there, it's just even sometimes the an idea that I already knew a little bit about, but the way that our guest worded it was really helpful. I some reason it just popped into my mind when um, Legarrett. I don't what episode was Legarrett on when we re, had us. He had us rethinking Black history. I've always kind of known what Black history is and how it functions, kind of you know within larger curriculums and stuff like that. But he said that Black history is um, you have to think about it from kind of a Black perspective. And what he meant by that is the di- not just a Black perspective, but the different Black perspectives that potentially exist around an issue. And I think he used Brown versus Board of Education as an example. And I just thought how that was very helpful to me to think about how we can think about Black history, not just Black history, obviously, but all, all, all kinds of histories, about what are the conversations happening in that space from different perspectives. One of the, uh, the other thing I really liked about doing this podcast is that we get to meet and talk to people who are super excited about, like they're really passionate about these topics mm-hmm. that you know we've we've decided to talk with them about, and so that's been really neat. Need to need to provide like a pathway for people to share their passion. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And so so far, our our kind of um, the way we've organized the podcast is really to to learn about um, the person that we have on, to explore their big idea, and then to think about the applications for the classroom. Um, we have discussed of ha- uh, having some um, alternate formats 
for for podcasts, maybe having panels on of people around right. an issue, um, or maybe this one, which I guess we're going to give it a try today, and we'd love feedback on just having a conversation about the, some of the stuff we're doing. I don't know. I guess is this a non-expert uh, episode? <laughs> <laughs> we're we're like expert learners, right? Or at least we're learning learners. We're Padawans, maybe. <laughs> that's that's a you know that's a good segue into what we're going to discuss a little today, which which aligns with with our aims in this podcast, which is I think we wanted to talk a little bit about authentic media. It's something that I think the reason probably we have started working on stuff together is we both have an interest in creating media that like has a purpose, right? Um, so often, so often in schools, we have students write a paper, the teacher write, reads it, gives them feedback, and then they get a grade, and that's the end of it. And I think you and I have both, both in our own professional development and in our classrooms, been really interested in ideas that that transcend the classroom, that students and we can share out beyond. Right? Would, is that fair to say? Yeah. Now, and I wouldn't say that like, you know, that's necessarily bad. You know, grading and then giving it back to the student, giving them feedback. Um, but I feel like, you know, transcend, like having a transcend the classroom or, you know, go beyond the borders. I feel like that's just a, an additional opportunity for students to learn and just another audience. Like I don't, but I don't want to say it the other way is bad, yeah. you know, because I, I feel like there's a place for it. That's a good point. Um, it's not an either or, but I guess I would say if you're not creating any authentic media ever or students are not getting to do it at all in any of their classes, maybe you could say then that they're kind of missing out on something that's part of our world now everyone can create media a lot easier than they used to be able to oh yeah no definitely i feel like students you know in their personal lives i feel like they are creating stuff with like mm-hmm. different memes that they're taking uh i feel like there is like it's neat to turn that into a learning experience so it's not just you know them goofing off about not goofing off yeah that sounded terrible but i feel like playing actually students i think playing play. is a term that a lot of people have used that that a lot of media creation and memes and all that stuff is, is kind of like play you know what i mean it's just fun it's goofy sometimes but it's creative right. yeah yeah so i think for the purposes of this discussion i think all we mean by authentic media is you know media is obviously creating something we're usually talking about digital media um and then authentic is it has an authentic audience that oftentimes your students can share something out into potentially or we can share something out into into broader spaces and it would make sense it's not something that you have to be in the class to understand the pro- the product that was created so so what we we're going to do is walk through a bunch of different you know mediums that we've used and i guess we could start with podcasting right i mean sure. uh, we've we've started with this podcast to to share and work through a bunch of ideas um, have you thought about ways that you could use it in your own classroom michael Podcasting, yeah. Uh, so I experimented this year doing mm-hmm. a digital essay where students, because I, I really want students to like hear what they're writing. Actually, voice is a really important thing and they can actually mm-hmm. express things with tone. So I had students write uh, or record a, an audible essay, which was really great. Uh, and then based on that, I really wanted to have students create a This American mm-hmm. Life type podcast where you have students like look at, let's say they're looking at decolonization. So they're looking at decolonization from a variety of perspectives. And then each student, maybe they're working with five students, they're taking a different angle of decolonization. And then they're wrapping it all together uh, in like uh, This American Life. You know how Ira has like, Mm -hmm. you know, chapter one. So it would be kind of like that. And so that's something that I wasn't able to get to this year. 
but I am absolutely trying to figure out how to work it in next year because I feel like that, that would be a really great experience. Well, and I think what's great about that idea is that when you listen to a news story, they have to provide you a context. And so right. students have to get why this is an issue. And so often in school, they don't, right? They're just like, oh, we're studying decolonization. We have a test on it. And so often they don't see like, well, what is this? But when you're doing it as a newscast or some kind of story that you're telling and sharing with others, you better make sense of it or else people will be like, what is this? Right? There's like a natural kind of, uh, I, don't, I don't know, like requirements of it that are going to get at, authentic, at learning that's meaningful, I guess. Yeah, like the so what is really inherent there, right? Because mm -hmm. you need to show, like, why are you doing this? Yeah. I also love um, classrooms where people have used podcasting as a way to capture community history, you know, interviewing grandparents or community members who were part of a civil rights movement or fought in a war or were part of, you know, so, like, so often those stories aren't really captured. And so your students could really fill a valuable role in the community by capturing those and putting those on a website somewhere. Um, or working with a local historical society to to share some of what they were able to capture. Do you ever uh, do you ever check out the StoryCorps podcast? I've heard some. Yeah, StoryCorps. It's like the NPR. I mean, it's their interviews, mm -hmm. uh, and so they have an app in which students can like they have like guided questions if they want to do it that way, or you can make your own questions. But you're walking through like how to do an interview that then you can actually publish to like the StoryCorps. I don't know. It's probably in like their garden somewhere. <laughs> But it's really neat because you're doing exactly that. Right, right. You know, and I'll say one other thing. Um, uh, when you just think of using audio as a way for communication, so often so much of our communication um, with our classes is just print. You know, it's emails, it's mm. messages on classroom management systems. It's all kinds of things like that. But um, I've seen some teachers start to use um, Voxer as a way to communicate with their students that people leave messages and have regular communication and activity. And so Voxer basically is what it is is like a, an app where you can create groups and then the groups can leave um, – they can leave text messages but they can also leave short audio messages and that's what most people do in it. Yeah. And so it kind of – I could see that as being another neat way to use audio in, in classrooms as a way to kind of communicate and have ongoing conversations. When I, I took an online class um, when I was getting my master's uh, from Dr. Spencer Descala, uh, who's like a he, – he's a really great expert on fascism. But he, um, it was an online course, so I never saw him. But he, every so often, he left one of those messages. Mm -hmm. I don't know what he used, but then I could actually hear his voice. And I actually, I bought a couple of his books because I'm kind of, I get really excited. So it was really neat to like mm -hmm. hear him talk about the stuff that, you know, I had just read in his book. Um, but that was a really great experience, a way to personalize like an online course. And, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot. And I'm sure all, even K-12 teachers are going to have more and more components of their classes that either are online or online mm -hmm. spaces will help support their learning in some way, or maybe help support students who are missing time at school oh, right. or need, need help. And, you know, as I've been doing it, I've been, initially I started putting my content up and I realized I had to make it more interactive. And so creating more podcasts um, and, and other forms of media, video, video casts, and then also using video conferencing. I found all of those things were really integral to help connect with my students because a lot of our classes um, at the university are starting to more and more be primarily online. Um, but I knew I couldn't lose the the personal component, both you know the students understanding who I am and then also me getting to talk and see and hear them. So that, I think that's an important consideration. One of the things that I actually started, I think last year, every so often I'll record like a lecture. And so 
It's neat because, it, I mean, it's on my Google presentation. Um, mm-hmm. So this way, if you're not in class, you have access to that. Or yeah. if it also like really helps me keep time. Because I can, I know that if my, you know, my lecture is like twenty five minutes, that there's an issue there, so I need to go back and really figure out what's important. So I feel like, you know, for me, it's actually a really good process to kind of get in the habit. Because sometimes I love to tell the stories, but you know, if a kid, a student's taking notes, they sometimes don't really want to hear everything that I have to say. So it, it, it really <laughs> makes me parcel those things out. Yeah, I and I when I talk to my uh, pre service teachers, I tell them that creating videos for some of the key concepts, Um, you know, and you just do it over time. Like the first year you maybe try to create, you know, one video a unit and then the next year you add videos or whatever it is. And if you have that available, it can be like the students can revisit that really key concept and make sure that they didn't miss it. Um, And so that's that I like that idea. I mean, and I could even see you creating a, a lecture where you put a lot of time into that. And having your students just listen to that, it's kind of a form yeah. of flipping and then they come to class and you're able to do stuff. I, I started when uh, there was a lot of snow days and so it was a way to make sure that we can continue on uh, mm-hmm. while we had the snow days. And a lot of students said that at the end of it, going back to like prepare for their for their midterm or for the final was actually really easy if they could go back and listen to the lecture. Although they said that they listened to it double speed, which on YouTube you can totally do, <laughs> which is great. That's such a great thing. So this way, you know, you don't have to sit through like the 12 minute or... It maximizes time. Smart. And I will say, I went. I was teaching a, a lesson at Geyer High School recently, and I asked the students what media they were using, and I was very surprised how many do listen to podcasts. Oh, yeah? A lot of the students mentioned listening to podcasts. Um, for podcasting, Michael and I, by the way, use um, we just record these via, via Skype, and then we have a little car, call recorder we downloaded that we had that I think we had to pay a little bit for, right? The call recorder. Yeah, I think it was like twenty bucks. Yeah. And then um, what we do is we download the audio into Audacity. And Audacity looks complicated, but it's actually not that hard once you get into it. And it allows you to do all kinds of editing and, and add features and music and things like that. You can have different tracks. And so um, we've really enjoyed using that. And then we just upload it in SoundCloud, which um, if you don't upload too much, it's free. <laughs> um, and it's really easy. We are uploading too much and are now paying for it. But um, well, let's talk about some other things. Um, I know you've done a lot of editing, remixing images. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've done there and what you see as being possibilities for teachers and students? Yeah, I really enjoy puns. So I, I was thinking about uh, Otto von Bismarck and I was like, ah, damn you, Otto, correct. Uh, you know, like the hashtag. Mm-hmm. So I use Pixelmator uh, mm-hmm. to like edit images. So I edited, I put uh, Otto von Bismarck's head on a teacher correcting and I put it up on Twitter and I said, damn you, Otto, correct. And people really liked it, and I thought that was kind of fun. So then it kind of went a little bit further, because I have, like, a lot of these puns. I created (laughs) Grand Theft Theft Auto. Again, this is really my Otto von Bismarck thing, right? I put together, like, like the game. It's a a video game. And so the pictures on the, uh, on, like, the image, I actually, if you look at it, it actually tells the entire story of German German unification. Uh, Because I really put a lot of thought and effort into, like, what type of images... I'm going to add in. So it was really fun. And so that kind of became a thing that I've been doing. So I have like the Tronstitution. Um, I have three men and a baby and it's early America. So it's Washington, Jefferson and Hamilton. I'm trying to think of some, oh, singing in the reign of terror. Well, we'll have to link some of these up on the show notes for the podcast, but you also had your students do this, right? Yeah. And this is something that we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. We actually worked, we worked on this project together where for a review, because one of the things that I, I, I want to make sure that these images are like helpful for students and helpful for study purposes. 
So it wasn't just like a pun that they have to do. Autocorrect is great, but what does that tell you about anything? Besides, mm-hmm. you can pun on someone's name. So students it had to create something that reviewed the content. It could be like a, they're typically movies that they ended up redoing. And so one person did a Clockwork Orange, but it was with Robespierre. Mm-hmm. And it was brilliantly done. It was a really neat review of Robespierre and the Reign of Terror. Students created those, and so then we had a big contest. So I had 45 to 50 students create one. And then students actually voted on which one they thought you know was the best one. So we had two that made it, and so the Reign of Terror one. And then someone did a um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, except it was Galileo versus the church. And it was, she actually mm. hand drew this thing. It was gorgeous. It wasn't just, you know, putting someone's head on something. Like she, she drew it. It was absolutely brilliant and a great review of the content once you're able to like really look at the picture. Well, and for people to really make uh, effective puns or play on words and remix images, they have to understand what they're doing. They have to understand the content. And, but I can just imagine you and your students having conversations about these different, you know, remixed images and posters and things like that. And it not only does it lend to creativity, the type of remixing that a lot of students are doing online anyways, but it can be a really intelligent way to engage some of the content. And so I think that's really neat. Can you tell us how you, because I I've, would like to get into remixing, editing images more um, for my classes, but also just Personally, sometimes I think it can be a fun way to get across ideas or to share fun ideas with colleagues and things. How, how do you, what tips would you have? What programs do you use for editing and remixing images? So Photoshop obviously is like the big name in photo editing, but mm-hmm. that's expensive. I bought uh, Pixelmator. Pixelmator, it cost me $30. And then that's what I use to make my images. One Is that a one-time fee? Yeah, it's a one-time fee. It's not a subscription. It's on my it's on my uh, my MacBook, and so cutting image. I mean, it takes some time, and you definitely fool around every now and then you, because you need to figure it out. But um, that's what I personally use. My students, when they did it, they oh, they actually were all given explain everything, uh, which is because mm-hmm. they have um, we're a one-to-one iPad school, so they're able to like do edits through explain everything because you you cut out pictures of people's faces and you put things on. But a lot of students use like different, some students actually use like PowerPoint or they use like some students did have Photoshop or they downloaded Photoshop for for the trial basis. Yeah, there's some like, there are some free alternatives, uh, but Explain Everything was pretty decent for the iPad. But for my use, I use Pixelmator. And I actually use it for a lot of things in in class. Whenever there's a map that's just not perfect or an image that I don't want to share the entire thing, I just edit it. It's really simple and it's been... Yeah, it's been a really fun outlet. Great, great. And when you're using these images, um, we will give a reference to Renee Hobbs, who would say that you should use images by that are not copyrighted and <laughs> that are in the digital, what is it, the digital domain? What am I? Creative well, Commons. We looked right? at this. We looked at this and we actually found out that we're actually pretty cool. Um, yeah, with editing, when you edit and change it, yeah. that's a little bit more in the public domain. If you're just reusing images in like videos and other things you're making, then you're supposed to um, use things that are in the Creative Commons. Um, I always wonder if I'm going to get sued. Uh, I know. But once we found that out, I'm sorry, happy. Yeah, yeah. Dan, do you use, um, have you used video creation in your class, like having students create videos? Yeah. Well, first, I'll say first, I like how teachers have been using it even for their own learning, too, before I get into my class. I think 
making our own videos about things we're doing in our class is a really neat way to share the way we're doing projects, ideas we have, you know, creating content, creating a mini lecture or something and posting it up. I think just sharing the stuff we're talking about instead of it just being in our class is really cool. Uploading it to YouTube and places like that. I, I really like Josh Flores is a English language arts educator um, in Oklahoma. And I like, he makes these like 30 second um, video cast that he posts on Twitter and other places just about ideas. And the idea is to get to start a conversation. And so he'll just talk about assessment or something. And so I've really liked that. But yeah, with students, um, you know, I've done some stuff. Most recently, I just I just bought a green screen. Actually, one of my students bought it and I paid them back Yeah. and put it in my office. And so I've kind of redubbed my office as a little media creation center. And so we've got a green screen along the wall and I just used iMovie and my students and I made a movie on five ed- big educational philosophies. And I saw that. Yeah. What'd you think? Well, you shared it with me. So. <laughs> what'd you think? I don't think we've talked about it. I liked it. So they, they did educational philosophers, right? Yeah. And so the reason we chose that is because we were trying to find a topic we were looking at, uh, at topics that we were covering in the class and there just wasn't a lot of good stuff online. There wasn't that great of articles, that engaging of articles. We couldn't find any good videos. And so we said, let's create our own. And so we created a five educational philosophies. It ended up being a little long. It was like 12 minutes to fit everything in and they had little parts and helped write the scripts. Um, but it's just a really authentic way to learn because, you know, when I when I would proof their scripts, they would write their scripts and bring them to me. And one of the students was actually in charge of like, the whole project, but I was helping with the content and stuff like that. Yeah. And you're like um, the script manager. Yeah. I was making sure the content was, was mostly accurate and things like that. And so I would proof their scripts and, and they had to know it and you could tell who was prepared and who wasn't. And they were mostly very prepared. I had great students. <laughs> and, um, and so it was a really fun thing. And we have that, you know, like our class is over. It was a three week May class. It was very intense, but we still have that video that we created together and they made some other authentic content. So that was really fun, and using iMovie was pretty easy. I like that you had them uh, with little masks yeah. of the philosophers, and then the backgrounds I thought was really neat that you used the green screen to you know, put the old – like what were some of the backgrounds that you used? So, so, the ba- so there was five educational philosophies, and for each philosophy, the background was supposed to help represent the philosophy, right? Oh, so, okay. So it was like what the classroom or learning environment would look like. So for a progressive – um, educational philosophy. There was like a bunch of kids standing up and working on projects and things like that because yeah. that kind of fit. And so they were able to reference what was happening behind them, but it provided a visual of kind of the idea of what it looked like. And for social reconstructionism, you know, it showed a bunch of students outside protesting something because that's reconstructing society and for, for the social better is supposed to be part of that philosophy. So it was really fun to, to mix and match the images and have discussions about, you know, what image they, and they'd find the images and we'd help put it together. And, and I helped with the video casting on this, but there's a lot of good apps too. You know, iMovie has an app and there's a lot of other apps that can help to create it. So it was a really fun project. Have, have you done any video projects in your classes? So personally, when I was in the, I was a senior in high school, my bio, my anatomy teacher had us, he wanted us to like do something with muscles. You have to pick a movement and look at the muscles and the bones involved, right? So me and my friend Brendan, we teamed up and we wanted to go a little bit of above and beyond. So we created a like wacky world of sports and we created like this video and we had commercials in it. 
uh, in which we were like acting out and then the sportscaster would then talk about all the muscles and bone that were in it. It was a really neat thing. I mean, this obviously was, you know, pre, I guess Prodigy was a thing or AOL. <laughs> but uh, it has not seen the light of day since 1998. Does uh, it still exist? We need to get that thing up on YouTube. I have no idea where it is, but oh my God, that would be amazing. Well, I, you know, I think that's one of the things about media creation is that media is constantly changing. Um, and so to do it, you just have to kind of learn. You have to be a, a constant learner. And, and But once you get into it and you start creating videos, when there's new stuff, you just are naturally curious. For example, oh, that'll help me make better ones. I know I when I was back in the day, I just relied on my students. Um, I, I had them create campaign commercials and I asked them who knew how to make good videos and what what, um, what they were using. Tool, yeah, what they were using and stuff. And so I tried to pair students in groups who had an, an expertise in creating videos already yes. with students who didn't. And then they would like split up roles and stuff. But, you know, when I had them creating videos, I had them use a lot of the production techniques and like music and lighting and color and black and white pictures and things like that, that campaign ads would use and that commercials and movies use to convince you to play, prey on your emotions. And so by them creating videos that did that, they really you know, got hands-on in kind of some video production, you know, skills, but they also Learned really got to be critical in, yeah. in thinking about how media is used to influence us. Oh, Renee Hobbs's website actually would probably be very helpful for that type of activity for, for teachers. Yeah. Is it, what was it? Mind over matter.tv? Was that one? Mind over media.tv. Mind over media.tv. And we'll, Sorry, we'll link that that's in right. the show notes anyway, but yeah. that's all about propaganda and different ways to use propaganda. And if you're just if you're just trying to get your students sharing basic information, you know, Screencast-O-Matic is such a uh, an easy program to use. I mean, it's just you go to their website, just Google Screencast-O-Matic, and you don't have to have anything. But what you can do is have visuals like a PowerPoint or something else, and just talk. You know, you can have the video on there or just do audio with it as as it shows your slides and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of really easy tools that can help you create videos with your students. What about social media, Michael? Um, have you, you you've used social media a little bit with your students? I know because we wrote about it. Yeah, I know. That's um, how we met. Yeah, well, I think we've shared it at least one other time, but probably not in any in any detail. Um, the start to the story is that um, Michael had a blog and he was writing about some of his lessons, and I read it and I said, Michael, this is really interesting. Can I get with you and write like a bigger article on this, and we can share some ideas about why you did it and how teachers could do it and stuff. So, you want to tell them about that lesson that was. So incredible that 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 I, we had to we had to meet and write things. Yep. S similar to kind of what you were doing with the education of philosophers, I was looking at the Enlightenment, and so the Enlightenment's are really um, it's one of my favorite times. But you know, spreading of the Enlightenment is a really neat thing. These are really new ideas that people get very excited about. So I wanted students to become Enlightenment philosophers and tell the world who these people are and why they're important to modern society. The whole premise was that they were working for an Enlightenment philosopher who happens to be alive again. And so they are going to first write a blog post to tell everyone who they are and about their beliefs and why they're important today. Then they're going to start talking to each other. And so this is where we had some light trash talking. Rousseau was kind of a jerk to everyone, which is not far from, you know, truth. Uh, and Voltaire was a very sassy. They really did their best to like really mimic their personas. Uh, and so they were talking to each other. But then the next part, I wanted uh, educators ask them questions about like modern times. Someone asked, I think it was Rousseau, like, what he thinks about communism, particularly under Joseph Stalin. 
And so then Rousseau had to like figure out what Rousseau would think about communism and then what's going on with Joseph Stalin or had people look at the Patriot Act, the USA Patriot mm-hmm. Act and what that means um, for like some of these like, you know, beliefs like that Voltaire wants total freedom of speech. He doesn't want any any silence whatsoever. And so looking at the Patriot Act and trying to figure out, you know, where he would where he would lie. And so I had a lot of like and so you were one of the people who asked a question. Did you ask a question to Wilsoncraft? I can't remember, you know, if I could ask one now, I'd love to ask Rousseau about, like, no child left behind. Because he left a lot behind a lot of children. He had a, and he had, well, he had a lot to say on education, Emil, um, right? I think that's, the, that's how you pronounce it. And his book, um, I've read part of it, talked a lot about education and, ed- and educational ideas. I was just thinking about the fact that he dropped his kids off because he, he just did not take care of his kids. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and so that was a really neat way. So for that activity, we used like a blog. I think we used Blogger at that point. And then we used Twitter and that's how they engage with the world. So they would answer in their blogs and then tweet it out to the different people. They had these Twitter accounts that, you know, had the pictures of, you know, um, Wilson, Mary Wollstonecraft and had then little bios that were supposed to be kind of accurate. And so a lot of them put the links to their blogs there. And so they would get questions from all these social studies educators. So again, very authentic media creation that they were sharing out with the world and getting feedback and and questions. So one of our later years, we actually had our local representative, our state representative, who had a bill about, um, I think it had to do with like days off for, it had to do with, oh, maternity leave. And mm-hmm. so he asked Wollstonecraft what he should do. This bill that was literally sitting on his desk. And then Wollstonecraft mm-hmm. did a lot of, the, the team did a lot of research as to the bill, as to Wollstonecraft's beliefs, and then gave him a response, which he was very happy for. And so that was really neat to like, I mean, this is at the state house. That was really cool. And it's really, it's a, it's a neat project. I, um, I actually stole your idea yeah. and did the same thing in my, some of my schools and society courses. Um, this is before Twitter changed a few things, made it a little harder to create accounts, by the way. Um, it's a little bit of a barrier now. So I would maybe look at not using Twitter. I might use a different medium because of that. You put phone numbers in and stuff, but yeah. We, I had them create, uh, when we tried to understand the evolution of schools from different perspectives, I had groups, small groups, um, take the perspectives of different important people in the history of education, and we would write and talk about issues. And I graded them on their ability to have intelligent conversations that were historically accurate to their people about some of these issues. And so what I would do is I would actually take you know, all of their tweets, and I had, we were using a hashtag and so then I would just put them all in an archive, you know, I'd use Storify and then I would go through and actually grade the ability to do it. And I would talk to the groups about, you know, this tweet isn't accurate or this doesn't actually correctly portray how this person changed things in, in schooling and things like that. And so it was a really fun activity, very interactive. I think students generally liked it, but it's also like pretty intellectually difficult. You know, it's it, the, the work isn't isn't easy. Yeah, no, it's definitely a lot of work because you have to like understand that time period, then understand whatever issue that you're being thrown at. So yeah, it's a lot of research. Um, but it was a really great, it was something that they always talked about. And I think a, an important thing about using social media and, you know, Web 2.0 like blogs and classes that it allows you to have conversations with students about the ways they can use those. I mm-hmm. think so often in schools, we spend time telling students what they shouldn't do on social media, right. um, which I think telling students like things they shouldn't do in their social lives is about as ineffective a strategy as we can have. And so I'm a, I, I'm a big believer that we have to show them different ways to do things. You know, we have to show them positive ways to use things. And hopefully that'll help them rethink what they want their online identities to be. And they'll start to, to be more conscious in other, you know, parts of their 
lives. Um, I've referenced it before, but Howard Rheingold has a great article where he details five social media literacies he says we should be teaching in mm -hmm. schools. And his first one is just attention, that because we have constant access to social media, we have to have kind of a metacognition about where we put our attention all the time. Because, you know, we just fill gaps in the day by check, you know, and students do too by jumping on Twitter and Instagram and all these other places. And sometimes at the expense of, of conversations in front of us or at the expense of reflection or whatever it is. And so the point isn't that social media is bad, but you should be very intentional about like, is this how I want to spend my time with it now right. and when am I using it? And so, um, and he had a lot, he had five other ones. We can link the article on the show notes. Sometimes on, uh, I choose to talk to people in line at Starbucks instead of being on my phone. Which is off-putting for people at first. But I get some really interesting conversations. Other times I get ignored. And I also think sometimes we can be very harsh of our current technologies, right? I think everyone's yeah. kind of like, oh, social media is terrible and bad. And it's like, you know, I heard someone say the other day, they're like, I was at the airport and just everyone's looking at their phones. I was like, I remember the airports before social media and everyone was not like having these amazing <laughs> conversations. They were like reading books or they were like, you know, twiddling their thumbs, like there wasn't like these amazing experiences we're missing out at. But um, anyway, it's it's all good conversation. I think we need to have it with students. I'll say one one other thing about social media is I've really been thinking a lot lately about how I can integrate it in my classes. I often have my students um, tweet or sometimes I'll use other forums like Google Plus um, to have conversations online and it can allow us outside of our classroom to continue conversations. Um, and so it can serve a different purpose. But one thing I've noticed recently is that I needed to really think about if I'm going to get them online, I can't just put them online and say, tweet about these types of things. They need more of a holistic approach to it. And so I've integrated a lot of aspects of them reflecting on their own uses, their own habits. Yeah. And I also have started to do like a, a techno fasting component where they actually get off of the media they use most heavily for 24 to 48 hours, depending on how heavy of users. And so I've tried to be really holistic in the ways I use social media in my class and as a back channel and, and component of your classes that students really get to think a lot about what they're doing. One of the things that I've done that I've actually transitioned from Twitter to today's meet, it was during the industrial revolution when it was spreading. They were like mouth, they were the communication ministers for these different nations that were, they were becoming industrialized. And then they were like sending out, you know, little missives as to what's going on. And they got points for using vocabulary words or for little, you know, for amusing me with trash talk. And so that's something we started on Twitter. Uh, but we actually moved off to today's meet. Uh, today's meet, mm -hmm. it's a more of a closed area. So only my students were able to have access to it. They also signed into it. They could, you know, make their name for their country. And then I would just project that and we... Um, we use that and that ended up working out much better on today's meet. And there's a lot less of a um, learning curve with today's meet than setting right. up Twitter yeah. accounts, for example. And, but yeah, and there's lots of social media you can use that are closed too, if that's appropriate for your classroom. Edmodo is a lot of teachers use, or some teachers share what they're doing just by having a single classroom account that they're in charge of, right? It's like, it'll be Mr. Milton's class and you'll share out projects and ideas and, and all the students can can help to write tweets for it, but only you would have actually access. So they would write tweets when you had it open for them. But one one other lesson I have come that's coming out in social studies in the young learner next year. Yes, it's, oh, yeah. it's been accepted and, and has, a, has a little bit of a delay, even though it's a current events article. But um, is I talked about the importance of having students analyze different forms of media, right? Like what's different about 
studying, for example, and the, the example I use in the article is homelessness. If I, in the article, I talked about working with fifth graders, and they wanted to learn about homelessness. So we looked at what we could find from Facebook, Twitter, um, you know, print media, uh, YouTube, and, and how those different mediums help to tell different stories. So it's a little bit of the old, the media is the message that we wanted to study. The medium is the message. The, how, how, those, how is it different to see a story about homelessness through, for example, a video as it is through um, you know, a news story? Uh, print news story. And so we it's fun to analyzing both the mediums and then the different messages. And what, what it is, is it kind of helped them think about that all mediums have different levels of credibility depending on who's creating it, you know, yeah. the stories. And so it helped them really think about it. But, you know, they, it was easy, they, they found quickly it was easiest to connect emotionally to mm -hmm. the video. You know what I mean? Um, and so what does that mean? How does that help you understand issues better? So we, had, we were able to have lots of complex conversations about the transmedia environment that we're kind of all exposed to, where we learn from all different media all throughout the day. Interesting. I look forward to reading that when it comes out next year. Well, I'll, I will send you a link. Uh, so the so there's a lot of social media tools you can use, and we we've spoken a lot about them. Um, let's talk a little bit about about websites and blogs and 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 how you've used those before, Michael. Um, do you do you blog have a website and do you blog? I do. I started a website I think in 2012. Uh, it's michaelkmilton.com. I was actually, our local NPR station did a piece about like, you know, people in education who blog. And I was one of the people, there's three of us. And so that was actually kind of neat to be highlighted. Uh, but mostly it's like lesson ideas or things that, yeah, mostly it's lesson ideas. I think there's a book review in there. And yeah, no, I think that's pretty much it. So, so you're basically sharing. I mean, you're sharing what you're doing in your classroom, sharing ideas about education. Yeah, yeah. It's very much like a reflective tool because it was, for me, as like a, you know, as a new teacher when I started, there wasn't always a place for me to like talk and really think about this kind of stuff. And so doing it on a blog ended up really opening, opening, a, lot, opening a lot of doors too, but just opening up a lot of conversation, uh, which was what I really needed as a, as a young teacher. So it's been a really, it's been great. It's a great compliment to educators who use mediums like Twitter, right? Where you can then share out your blog posts right. with, with your kind of professional learning network, your PLN, you develop in a space like Twitter. Um, you know, I have, I, I've been meaning, I've never really gotten into, I do have a website. It's just wordpress.dancrutka um, and what are those dot coms? Or the, dot com thing. I, I, yeah, I'd have to double check it. I think it's dot com. And you know, I've just used it to post like resources and information basically as of now so I can link things that I'm regularly linking people to. But what I've done, I think it's been way more interesting is, is um, for a lot of my classes that are primarily online, but I think this would work for any classes at all, is I have my students in my classes create their own websites. And we just use WordPress. I've created a tutorial for them. Um, and they get on and they basically it serves as a digital portfolio. All of their work in the class, all their major assignments go on their website. So they turn it in and they're all – I have a page where they're, all their websites are linked. And whenever they write blog posts or create videos and things like that, um, they'll go and read each other's, watch each other's, listen to each other's um, media creations. Yeah. And so it's been a really authentic thing. And I always tell them to write this, write their assignments in ways – that it does not look like it's for the class, that it's their own website. And so they'll hopefully continue to use it. And, you know, it can be a neat way for them to um, kind of really start to rethink of themselves, I know, as professionals. Because, uh, you know, a lot of them are just getting into teaching and they're just in the program. So I want them to think of themselves as professional teachers. Yeah. But I always tell them, I hope they're on their job interview and their principal is like, well, what, what, can, what can you tell me about your ideas on assessment? And they can start off by saying, 
Well, I actually have a really great blog post on that. I'll, I'll send you a link after, and that's how they what can start their answer. What a great follow-up. <laughs> I feel like for my blog, like that's really what it is. It's kind of like a conversation that I'm starting if I do you know, look for another job at one point. Um, but I can point to all this stuff that I've done. Um, so yeah, it's mm-hmm. kind of like a, you know, it's like a big resume. Yeah. And so I think educators should think about like, would that help make your class assignments and things more authentic by, by having a, an online space where students can post their work for the class and post thoughts about the classes? Could you work in, in coordination with people, with other teachers, you know, that they have, that they're posting things from multiple yeah. classes and they've created a really cool digital portfolio of, of their own work and their writing and things like that. Um, but there's also a lot of important questions come along with it. Like, should they post a first draft on a website? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, do they need to, does it really need to be perfected? And I have those conversations. My students are in college, so I, I talk to them about at the end of the class, whether they should you know, what they should, they should decide about what to keep up and what to pull down, um, based on what they think will best reflect their abilities. And, and so those are always important conversations. So I really like WordPress. I don't know. What do you use? I personally use WordPress, but for my students there, we're like a Google school, I guess. And so I guess whatever their WordPress is, I don't even, this is stuff that I don't actually know. (laughs) I think it's a blogger. There's a lot of good ways to create websites for sure though. So I know every so often there's discussion in my school about having students have a portfolio and we always wonder like what students did before. Mm -hmm. Like you should know, like, you know, I teach juniors and they've written, you know, parts of a research paper, if not a full research paper, Mm -hmm. but yet whenever we go to it, they don't, they, they seem not to really remember that they've done it. And so (laughs) it would be, it would be great if they could actually go back and look at, okay, so this is how I used footnotes then. Okay, yeah. I can then transfer this to this year. And so I always want them to do that. You need a lot more buy-in than just me saying that we should do this. Right. Um, it's got to be more of like a you know, school-wide thing. But that's my yeah. dream. Well, in a, yeah, in a, great, in a dream world, it's great when you have collaboration across so that, you know, because one of the biggest things with technology is, is the learning curve. Again, if you use a new technology, you're going to have to spend time with it. And so if everyone's using their website as a digital portfolio, you only have to teach that once across, for example, high school. Right. That makes it easy. Um, If you're teaching it only in your class, it's a lot of time to spend for a single class to use it. I always, I think that like, like my dream is to like at the end of the year, go back into their digital portfolio, pick out like four assignments and talk about what you learned there. Talk about like why these worked well. Or talk about how they show growth. I think that'd be an amazing way to like show the impact of what they've, how they've grown and to really highlight some of the great stuff that they've done that then, you know, if they do want to keep this on like a, you know, if they want to have like a a private website, but then a public website to show these things they're proud of. Mm -hmm. That's again, my dream. Well, and I think the thing about public sharing, sharing your work, which now is making me think of our episode with Wes Fryer of Inside Outside Sharing. Episode three. Episode three. And he... When you think about publicly sharing your work, it just opens up so many spaces for conversations and learning to happen. And I was just thinking about how parents, it gives parents a new access to what their students are doing. So often parents have no clue what their kids have done. But if they're posting like their big projects up on a website and stuff like that, you know, that could be the basis for, for informal conversations about their learning, for parent teacher conferences led by students where they, you know, you just start off by saying, well, you want to show your parents the work you've done? And, and you pull up right. the website and they show you the work that they've done and, and explain where they think they're really doing well. And it could lead to kind of positive, you know, discussions about learning and progress. And, and so uh, it just opens up doors, you know what I mean, for different types of learning. It certainly does. 
Um, so one other medium we were going to talk about, and I think the last one was video conferencing. Um, this is, oh, this video is, conferencing. This is one I've been thinking about, which, by the way, we are recording this using Skype right now. Um, we are. I'm looking at you on Skype. Yep. And, uh, and so I've been thinking about how video conferencing can be used in education a little bit um, lately. Um, uh, specifically, um, Ken Carano is a professor in Oregon, and he did a cool project in his class that we wrote about where he – had his students video conference with students from Gaza. And it was just, he, he had met someone from there and he had a connection. And so they set up some class video conferences and then the students would have individual video conferences, but they also had a Facebook group where they could ask questions asynchronously like throughout the process. And so it was really a cultural learning experience. And, and um, his students and talked about how humanizing it was because, you know, you just watching the news about some, Gaza and this could apply. This applies to any place in the world. Right? right. But but watching the news about somebody from somewhere else is a totally different experience than asking them about what their daily lives are like and what their experiences are like. And I just feel like we don't use it enough. We don't use the power of video conferencing enough in schools, especially in social studies, you know, where we're learning about the world. So right. I don't, have, you, have you been able to use it much in your learning or do you have any ideas? I haven't. I haven't done it. I think that the time lapse between mm-hmm. like – so I teach world history. The places that I'd want to go, there's a pretty big time lapse and then getting connections there I think would definitely be a hurdle. Yeah. But it would be really neat to like – I mean if you are – let's say you in a school in, I don't know, Britain. I'm looking at a place that also speaks, speaks English. Or both studying like World War Two or the American Revolution, it'd be really funny to then like you know learn about it and then talk about how they learned it versus how we learned it. Or I think that would be neat. Or I would say learn about the American Revolution and yeah, have a conversation with British because um, they, they do t- talk about it differently. Um, there are they call everything different things too. Absolutely. Oh well, and I just little things like talking about how we call the Vietnam War the Vietnam War, um, and it's certainly not called the Vietnam War in Vietnam. You know, and that's just those little perspective things that help students rethink about the different ways to think about historical events. You know, there are some some I, I, it, making the connections and figuring out the time is interesting. I just last week, uh, my students and I we learned about the Korean educational system from an edu from an educator in South Korea, and oh, wow. it was really neat. And so, in that case, I just mined my contacts. You know, I talked to people I knew, and we have a colleague at, at TWU who is from. South Korea, and he was able to find me someone to video conference with. And so that's, you know, thinking about the people you know or, or networks you have can be a good start. But there are some other um, uh, available programs online, um, ePals and iEarn um, and Mystery Skype that can help to make connections. Um, particularly Mystery Skype is fun. My students and I have done it where you Skype with a classroom somewhere else and you don't know where they are. The teachers set it up. And you have to ask questions about the place. And so you learn about the culture and geography and all about the place by asking questions. It's kind of a fun one. What if you use like Voxer? You know, you post a question and they, they can answer it in Korea or somewhere else, right? Yeah, I could see that. It's so kind of asynchronous. It's almost like a, a, a digital pen pals in some sense, right? And you could use audio or you could use text or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that could work. So I think those are those are all interesting ways to think about how media can kind of be integrated in the, into the ways we teach, you know? Um, and I think a lot of the most creative, fun things that I know I do in my class, we're using media and we're using it in authentic ways where we're creating a project. And um, with that, you know, that philosophies project, which I just did with my students, it's fun that it's still there. And, yeah. and uh, 
you know, it, it made it, it made us work to a different level knowing that we were going to put it online. And some of them had never helped make a video and put it online. So it's just, there's something exciting about creating media and sharing it with the world. That's cool. What a great way to end. Yeah. So if you enjoyed this podcast or, or you have ideas about things you've done, you'd like to share a media that you've created in your classroom, um, tweet us ideas on our podcast Twitter account at Visions of Ed. Ed stands for education. We do not have visions right. of any men named Ed. Um, but <laughs> Visions of Ed. And uh, you can post on our Facebook page um, when we tweet that out there. Um, and so we'd like to continue the conversation. Also, if you have any ideas about uh, different podcast topics or formats that you think would be useful for us, we'd love feedback. Um, constructive feedback is always helpful. <laughs> yes, try not to be too deconstructive. <laughs> So, yeah, that was fun, Michael. Um, so I guess uh, thanks so much for joining us today, everyone. Um, we, we hope to, again, continue these conversations online and in other spaces. And for Visions of Education, I'm Michael Milton at 42 Think Deep. And I'm Dan Kretka at Dan Kretka. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast signing off.